0: Peace be to you. In the Let us begin with the question.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to Curacy Catholic, the Evangelion Podcast. Sharing in the mission to light a fire of Christ in the hearts of Catholics by sharing the truth of our faith in a compelling manner. In this episode, we're going to be picking the brains of Catholic enthusiasts to try and get to the bottom of how to live truly as a Catholic in contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri and we're going to be talking to Helen Armstrong. If you haven't heard of Helen Armstrong, you're about to uh, because we're going to be talking about the Camino El Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage across Spain. It starts from many different places, uh, more popularly from France to the north of uh, Spain, a place called Santiago. And we're going to be talking about that, and we're going to get into grips of what it was like going on that trick. So without further ado, Helen, how's it going, mate?
2: Hi, my friend. Good, good.
1: Yeah, so for all those listeners out there that are sitting on the edge of their seats, maybe their car seats, maybe at the edge of their sink doing the dishes whilst listening to this podcast, who is Helen Armstrong? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And, most importantly, are you a cradle or a convert to Catholicism?
2: Well, first of all, I will see if I can remember all of those questions uh, with my answer. <laughs> Sorry, out of
1: coffee, so I'm going.
2: You're buzzing. You're buzzing. Mm. Um, who am I? It's a good question. I well, I, I'm from pokokoe So if you don't know where pokokoe is, type it into Google and be incredibly underwhelmed. Um, But I love my little hometown and I'm pretty embedded in the community here because I am an early childhood teacher by trade. So I have been part of the upbringing of many, many children in the area and that kind of naturally leads you to be, I guess, yeah, really part of the the, the knitting of the community. Mm. So I love being able to walk down the street and bump into several people that I know and have um, have stop and have a chat, that sort of thing. Um, I am currently self-employed so I work uh, as an early childhood consultant to all sorts of ECU services around the country and I also work with parents and families um, and that's my own little business and big part of that is my own research and learning and growth as well. Um, and I am, I live in a tiny house. I'm just trying to think how, how to describe myself. I live in a little tiny house, uh, semi rural, just out of Pukekohe. Absolutely love it. Uh, and I am a convert to the faith.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, what so...
2: were you before
1: you uh, found the truth?
2: Well, I was still me. <laughs>
1: <I> mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Did you ascribe to it? Did you ascribe it to any other source of beliefs or uh, were you Buddhist or?
2: No, I didn't. In fact, I would say if I was going to identify as kind of anything in terms of religion, I would, would have probably classified myself as an anti Catholic. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I thought I knew. I thought I knew everything that there was to know, and that was enough for a pretty solid. Uh, stance on the whole thing Mm. i had a catholic friend growing up in high school and i always sort of looked at her family as just kind of living in this really ridiculous way and i wasn't i wasn't exactly reserved about that opinion i look back with a bit of shame and despair over all of that but we live and learn uh so i was 19 when i came into the church so kind of a strange age to do it really if Mm. you um, well, I was 22.
1: About... When I was 22. Yeah. An hour, okay. Well,
2: and you're pretty strange too. So. Well, think... you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that, that, that shows how close friends we are after, was it eight years we've been uh, knowing each other? <laughs> just cool, so... Yeah, I
2: think at this point in, ta- in time you start referring to it as just a decade,
1: I think. Oh, okay, cool. Well, within yeah. a decade. Uh, and so, what at nineteen? What was it that shook the earth and changed your mind from being someone that knew it all to all of a sudden being someone that might not know exactly what's going on?
2: Yeah, um, something supernatural, <laughs> I think. I I mean, I would say I always had a spiritual sort of openness. I if it wasn't. Um, it was waiting to just be channeled in some direction, I think and i I was at an age where I was just starting to realize that the way I was living didn't actually feel good um the way that i th- I thought it should you know i was I had some great friends in high school, but also you know the typical kind of scene um, of just drinking a lot and going out a lot and I think it started to wear a bit thin. Uh, I had a few, a few little kind of wake up moments um, where I just started seeing it for what it was. And I came into a friendship with somebody who was from a really strong Catholic family and was pretty consistent in inviting me to mass. And I was pretty consistent in declining the invitation. And then eventually her grandmother invited me to Uh, to a mass and when the grandmother invites you you can't really say no (laughs) and this mess for anyone out there yeah it's get your grandmas to ask people this mess was a they were renewing their wedding vows and it was at the tyburn monastery and it's a beautiful place if you're not familiar with it it's kind of like another worldly place really and I walked into that little chapel and God did something miraculous with my heart because I walked in not wanting to be there and feeling pretty kind of annoyed that I had agreed to be there. I arrived late, I walked in, it was like a thousand degrees in there. I remember Uh, trying to be really discreet about my entry and then making a kneeler crash and clatter on the floor when I tried to join a pew and just then from that moment on feeling completely and utterly out of place. And I watched at this part of the mass, I watched people going up for communion and I sit there in the pew and I see this happening and I have this realization that there's something here that I don't have in my life that I need. And I call it a miracle because it truly, I mean, I had no idea what the, the belief about the Eucharist even was, uh, you know, I, had, I just hadn't even explored that and I just knew I needed this. And so I promptly got up and left <laughs> and I went outside and I prayed my first ever prayer. I said, if you are real and if you really exist, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But please, not the Catholic Church. Anything
1: else? I hear that's a lot of a lot of in a lot of people's uh, conversion stories. Like I remember hearing about Scott Hans and his wife was like, "Can't you just be like an Episcopal? Does it have to be Catholic?"
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: So, like, because you had that uh, attitude towards Catholics that they were like not just wrong, but like like theologically, but they were wrong in in more than one way.
2: Yeah, and and. I don't know that it was even as deep as knowing or thinking that they were wrong theolo- theologically, because they didn't know any of the theology. Mm. I just looked at these kind of fundamentals and thought, no, thank you. Really, like, that's the depth that it went to. Mm. And I still felt that way, even when I felt that that shift in the heart. And so it, it felt even more of an intense dislike when I started panicking that, like, maybe this is what... I'm being asked to do and how horrifying would that be and like what would I tell people and how would I it just like the snowball in that in, in my mind was not a great image um, but it didn't go away and I I really in the end I felt like it came to a point where I just I couldn't continue to live without without this being a really core cool part of my life I I started going to mass with this friend and I was cynical and we would argue and she was incredibly patient with me. You were listening, Therese, uh, thank you. Because I was strong-willed and stubborn and argumentative and I kept coming back (laughs) and uh, eventually I, I walked away for a little while. And I thought I was, I was pretty proud of myself actually when I walked away. Yeah, I'll show them. Um, and I missed it immensely. And I just knew I'm being asked to give up pretty much every part of how I've known life to be, uh, my family very much. So (laughs) anti the the church as well. the way I was living my friend circles it was just you couldn't have found something more foreign to the to the way that I was used to life being um and it took a year of of discerning and arguing and leaving and returning and then I decided to do the RCIA and there was a lot more arguing and leaving and returning Uh, and then the following Easter baptized confirmed first holy communion all in the one night while my family sat there like they had just been shocked by the most shocking scene you could imagine yeah yeah, yeah. um and, so, and yeah well that's... i
1: guess at least you know that you know you definitely want to enter church after all that arguing and leaving and coming back you know it's uh it's not just one of those things like oh i need to be catholic baptize me see you later it was like a, it was a real process a real coming to terms with it and fighting against it and there's kind of a lot of beauty in that
2: yeah i mean i think you know the imagery of really wrestling with god um is is really accurate for me in that season Mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't go down without a fight (laughs) i I was so determined to hold on to what i thought i wanted life to look like and Mm -hmm. who i thought i wanted to be um, and I mean, I, I look back and I think probably because of that, I really did explore things in a really in-depth and robust way. I wasn't satisfied with a simple, um, you know, paragraph in the um, Finding God booklet that they gave us. I, I would question and challenge and push, and, and as a result, I guess the depth that I found there is what really um, held me there in the long term. Um, and I, I, am kind of hesitant to say how many years it's been since, but it's been, let's call it a decade, Dom. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: and, <laughs> and I think it, a lot of people in my life really thought it was going to be a novelty that wore off or mm. a bit of a, you know, I had, I had family who sort of sat me down and mm-hmm. <clears throat> tried to, you know, talk to me about, um, you know, being persuaded by cults and things like that. I had a Mm. lot of concerned people in my life. And I think I was, I mean, at that stage, I felt like I was kind of torn in these two directions. Like I'm very much a kind of independent person. And here's this one side that I feel really pulled to. And then here's this other side of like my, my people and my life and my family telling me, no, don't do that, that's crazy. Do you know what the Catholics are like? So I'm in the middle and I, my nature is like, well, I want to do the opposite of what anyone else wants me to do. And so I felt so torn and really the only way I look back on it now. And I think the only way that it was possible, it worked out the way it did is by God's grace and, and a true miracle. Mm. Um, and that my heart was just truly changed. Mm. And I mean, it's a continual process, right? I, I still consider myself a baby Catholic, just, just slowly trotting along and figuring things out. But
1: Yeah, well, I think you know it's, it's the best we can all uh, hope for. I was just reading, I just started reading uh, St. Teresa's, uh, the, the Life of St. Teresa of Avila. Um, mm-hmm. And on the first page, she just says, look, I wanted to write, I would have felt a lot better if I could have told everyone how awful I was all the way through this, but I was told not to. So I'm just going to say it here. I sin a lot. And not only do I sin a lot, I'm like, I, like she says, she's wicked, but she, she's like, I keep on doing the things that I know are bad. I know the bad when I'm doing, and I'm still doing them anyway. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm not, so bad. <laughs> she's a saint, <laughs> a mystic, a doctor of the church. <laughs> I'm all right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it is that it's uh, just that constant, like every day. Okay, I'm just gonna carry on giving this go. Uh, try your best. Fall over. Get back up. Dust yourself off. Go to confession and crack on um but yeah i mean it's just such a it's just a beautiful story hearing that like the rawness of it all it's a it's a real story it's not a it's not a uh like a pristine like you know peachy clean squeaky clean story it's, it is and it's not it's also not one of those one like dramatic stories is like oh yeah i was doing drugs and sleeping around and then i uh met God, and then I never did it ever again. It was uh, this whole process, and I think yeah. it's quite encouraging hearing that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. So you went from this person that uh, didn't was anti-Catholic to someone that became a Catholic, and then you decide to travel to the other side of the world, like, almost literally, because I believe Spain is directly opposite to New Zealand, and... Yeah. Walk nine hundred—is it nine hundred kilometers over three months? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, I suppose it depends how fast you walk. But
1: <laughs> I could probably do it in a week. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. it's five working days for you, Dom.
1: Yeah, thunder thighs. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take you to to do it, and where did you start? So, this is the for those listening, El Camino de Santiago, the Way of Saint James. Uh, so, where did you start, and why is it called the Way of Saint James?
2: Well, I mean, the history of the pilgrimage is that it's St. James himself that, uh, you know, really navigated those first steps. And some of the, it's it's an incredibly historical walk because some of the original uh, Roman road is still there. I mean, it's just truly something that it's, again, like I used the word otherworldly before and I'll use it again because it really does feel like that. Um, the the history and the I guess the age of the tradition as well is incredibly rich, um, and you're gonna come across these little churches with you know relics and all sorts of incredible things like that until eventually you're gonna hopefully make it to Santiago um where there is just a rich abundance of all that sort of thing like the idea of the pilgrimage kind of there therein lies so um i started in burgos so i did not walk the full uh 900 kilometers time was my issue with that uh because i had taken sabbatical from work and um I, I didn't have all the time in the world and that's probably there's a little piece of my heart that wants to kind of yeah well it does it wants to go back and it wants to start from St. John and, and walk the you know, the Pyrenees and do the traditional route from, from France but I did 600 kilometers in total so I started in a little place called Burgos uh, and I just kept on walking, and I added on a little to the end by walking to from Santiago to Finisterre, which is uh, they call it the end of the the edge of the world. And so, when you're not quite done, when you get to Santiago, that's that's what you do.
1: <laughs> oh wow! So, uh, how many kilometers was it from Burgos?
2: Well, we did I, like I clocked six hundred all up.
1: Oh, okay including so, Finisterre.
2: let's say 500 and something to santiago and then a few extra days of walking four extra days of walking yeah. to Finisterre.
1: because uh my wife and i before she was my wife did um the last hundred kilometers um from a place called saria i believe um and we walked from saria all the way to um santiago and that took us a uh, that took us about six days and that was yeah i mean because it was the last 100 kilometers it was a lot i, I feel like it's a lot more populated but um mm. yeah if you can you give us a bit a bit more of a brief history because you said like that you went at the t- the traditional route is there more than one route and how many do you know
2: yeah so there's uh well there's many 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 uh the two more common would be the the traditional route from for uh saint john pierre port in france through the pyrenees mountains and into spain and then the less common but still very traditional and de- a really richly historical route would be the portuguese mm. route so i have a friend who i walked with um well actually i met I, I say i have a friend who i walked with a friend who i met whilst walking who uh went back and did the portuguese um journey and has said that it was a lot more intrepid because I I think there's a really tourism um centric aspect to the to the traditional these days, especially and I'll say (laughs) with humility that last hundred kilometres. I mean I I, we we after having walked for I wanna say three weeks at that point, when we hit that final hundred kilometers and you are, for want of a better word, you're just haggard <laughs> and you're, you've got blisters on your blisters and you've got injuries and all sorts of things. And I was plagued by bed bugs. Oh, and so there's amazing. just kind of all these layers of, of suffering that the Camino uh, dishes you. And then you hit that 100 kilometer mark, 100 kilometers to go. And there's these people stepping off buses with shiny white shoes and fresh, you know, m- freshly minted backpacks and these bright cheerful smiles and they're all Buen Camino and you just think, Ah oh, man, yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it Buen Camino? <laughs> yeah. kind of hate Camino right now, but yeah. yeah, so I think it depends on what you're, what you're looking for. I, I mean, people say that your Camino begins when you leave your front door, so... I know somebody who, uh, you know, I asked him where he started walking from, and he referenced his hometown in France, but he ended up walking for, I think, about three months. So uh, it depends (laughs) who you are, where you're from, and how much you've got in the tank, I think. Mm,
1: Yeah, I mean, because I think, like, the idea of pilgrimage is it's not necessarily a set walk, it's not a certain place, it's the journey um the place is a means by which to go on this journey uh to end up there and the significance helps that but uh yeah the the, the pilgrimage is is a real spiritual spiritual act and i think uh, we'll get into that a bit later because i think there's a lot we can pull out of this um in the last few episodes people we've interviewed we've been talking a lot about like this idea of a sacramental world view and that's kind of viewing the world through Like God's eyes and seeing um, creation as a way of pointing towards God, but in that we can also see our sufferings as a way of uh, engaging with God. And you had by the sense of sounds of it sufferings, you know, by the measure. Um. So, what was it that made you decide to leave New Zealand, your comfortable life, and go for a walk? Did you did you was it just a spur of the moment thing? Was there a lot of discernment that went to this? Was you know how much why why which why helen uh
2: yeah i would say it it was a while It was at a spur of the moment thing it wasn't but it was a sudden and rapid decision so i was uh nursing a pretty broken heart post uh a relation well actually an, like an engagement ending and at the time, my experience of that was that my whole world had come crashing down. And my real response to that was to cling to Christ in a way that I, I never really had to before in a way. I mean, and we should always be clinging to Christ for dear life, mm. right? But in our comfort of the modern world we live in, I mean, I don't know about you or, or anyone listening, but I can go days without really feeling that I need to rely on the Lord. Uh, it's a discipline to, to instruct my mind to rely on the Lord in my day-to-day life. When something brings you to your knees, uh, when you have a faith, there's an opportunity there to... Um, To really, I mean, I think it's St. Augustine says, in my deepest wounds, I saw your glory, Lord, and it dazzled me. And I feel like that for me had become a little bit of a um, a mantra. And uh, I knew I needed to get away. I knew I needed to um, leave my current situation of just being in the environment that I, I, I was still acutely aware of the loss and the heartache in this environment. And so I booked a plane ticket. And I was Auckland to London and I, I really kind of had it open from there. And it was a last minute decision to go to, on the Camino. So much so, Dom, that people spend months planning a Camino. People, especially if you're gonna do um, you know, any length, for more than a kind of a week or so and people train for it and i mean we really we i say we because i met up with my cousin and in, in the uk and we walked together um we went to is it tk max is that
0: oh great, that, place. You know, great place
2: we went to tk max the day before our flight left from london to spain And we bought ourselves these backpacks and raincoats, hats and shoes. Can I just say, uh, possibly the
1: worst shop to do that from, but okay, carry on.
2: Okay, well, you know, like I was just fresh out of New Zealand at
1: I suppose that's just also saying like how last minute this was. It wasn't a... uh... Fun
2: it's really speaking to that yeah and we we arrived and people laughed like people truly laughed <laughs> at these kiwi girls who i mean we had people who would just take one look at us and say you're not gonna finish this thing there's just <laughs> no way like at a guy who said to me a nice trainers um they won't last the distance mm. uh he, he wasn't wrong but <laughs> <laughs> um I think we have a bit of a a Kiwi disposition towards, you know, the she'll be right mentality is is strong. So off we went. Um, And Yeah. yeah, my catalyst really was to create some space for myself in a world that doesn't allow us to have space, to feel our feelings, to really heal, to process, to spend time with Christ. And it's really, it's a really profound thing too. I think I, I probably got about a weekend and I realized everything else has been stripped away to the degree that I wake up in the morning and my only task for this day is to put on my pack and my shoes and walk until I arrive. And most days I didn't even have a destination. Most days we thought, yeah, we might land here. We'll see how the day rolls. There'd be days where we felt strong and we'd walk sort of 35 kilometres in a day. There'd be days where we felt really that that was not on the cards and we would walk 12. So you sort of, everything else just uh, is irrelevant when this is happening. And we had very little, I had no internet on my phone. I had no, um, no distractions. And while I walked, while I went with my cousin, we actually walked together very little. Uh, I walked alone a lot. I uh, I met a lot of incredible people, but my my focus was very interior at that point in time. I was not, I'm, I would call myself a fairly social and extroverted person. And at that time, you wouldn't have known me in that way. Uh, I was very much interior, very much um having i guess a dialogue with with christ while i was putting one foot in front of the other um and i remember realizing about a weekend this is an opportunity that i probably won't experience in this way again Mm. and i felt the real need to to sort of hush everything else in my life just to be fully present in that way. I wrote a lot. Um, I, I kept a little blog that I would update whenever we got to a, a bigger town or a city that had had internet for us. Um, so I wrote my feelings, I wrote my prayers, I, I listened to God, I, I cried, I raged against God, I had tantrums and... <laughs> Um, I met people who are lifelong friends now and I really see now I look back and I see that uh, I was called away um, from life as I knew it for a little while to really into the wilderness to kind of let everything come out in order for it to be healed Um, and I think in day-to-day life we're so inclined to stuff things down to conceal things to pretend we're okay when we're not people have an expectation if you're going through something difficult or or if you're grieving that you will maybe for a time and then you'll move on and i think i've really realized you can't i mean someone said and I'm, i'm gonna just say this i don't know who it is who said this but what lays concealed can't be healed Mm. and the camino for me was a real opportunity to mm. yeah to really go through that process
1: i suppose it's just like a case of just facing yourself uh because there's nothing else it's just you and god and he's the like the best mirror out there uh and unfortunately we don't always like what's looking back at us um but i was just thinking like you know we were poking fun at the tk max and the the cheap shoes and stuff and but I think I uh, like again looking at that like through God's eyes, it's a it's a really good analogy for ourselves. It's like, you know, you can have the best shoes and you can be all prepared for everything, but like in real life, you know, we're we're thrown into situations. Um often, you know, people say, Oh, if I was in this situation I'd do this, 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 and this but we're not often given the time to plan. Um, you know, I was discerning to leave my my old job next thing I know is like okay I'll 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 join I'll do a degree. Next thing I know I'm I'm buying a house or having a baby. So you can't you can't plan for that because if you could you wouldn't. And I think <laughs> I think you you plan it better. You do something different. And I think though you know those shoes is like those shoes aren't gonna make it but like our bodies aren't made to make it. Our, our bodies are made to get us to get us to the destination but we'll be broken by the time we get there. Cause the destination isn't an earthly one. It's uh, it goes beyond the material. And uh, I think there's a certain beauty in, you know, what the people were saying to you is true, but it's like kind of prophetic almost like, you know, you're not good enough. It's like, you're right. I'm not, and I'm not doing this on my own. I'm doing this with Jesus. Yeah. And uh,
2: yeah. Uh, you just reminded me of the, um, I have a prayer on my, um, in my bathroom. Um, deliver me, Jesus, from the false belief that I have what it takes, mm. uh, and that's the messaging, you know, and in, in the world is you, 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 can do this. You've got what it takes. You are amazing, and, and yeah, we are, but but we're nothing without Christ. And mm. you know, we I think as well we we're always inclined to even well I was gonna say even, but I'll say especially as Christians we are inclined to find a way of of making ourselves more comfortable so my inclination toward that normally if i would have a period of time to prepare and plan would be to research the most comfortable walking shoes least likely to give me blisters and yet here's me ending up with like the most horrific blisters Mm -hmm. and just really being thrown into this situation where layer upon layer of suffering is what I experienced. And there's no amount of, I guess like planning ahead that can uh, ease that or, or minimize that. And I think you're right, like in life, me working as hard as I can to make my life as comfortable as I can make it. When these things that are You know gonna come up come up none of that actually matters or or even helps us Um, and so it's a huge exercise in surrendering to where i am and finding a way to really incline my mind and my heart toward god lean into the hard thing uh, as an opportunity to be well our whole purpose right to become like the one i follow Mm. i I'm here, I'm here to become like the one i follow and yet i want to research every possible way to minimize blisters on my feet while i'm walking
1: <laughs> mm, yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a tough one because like i guess another thing that's come across to me as i've been researching for these uh, episodes that when these people i'm interviewing for is um and like i guess it came through in your testimony is like the call to be a catholic is a It's an insane one. It's like, Mm -hmm. why? Why would anyone do that? But like, it's also, it's like, it's like because you know, there's one the one point of being Catholic. So you know, what do Catholics have to do? Is well, go to mass, receive the Eucharist once a year, go to confession once a year. As long as you've done that, you know, gone to Sunday Sunday mass every Sunday, you're a Catholic. But you know, that's you know, that's not what being a Catholic is. As well, Mm -hmm. I mean, whereas you know, technically you are a Catholic. Anyone who's baptized Catholic is Catholic the call to be Catholic is to change your life completely. Mm-hmm. It's to, you know, dilate your heart, to to feel the suffering of Christ and bear it with joy. And, you know, the more we look into it, it's like, actually, this affects how I invest money, how I buy a house, how I interact, not just with people, not just how I, what liturgy I go to at Mass, but like, you know, what job I do, you know, what's moral, what's right, and... I think it all comes down to that you know we need those periods of retreat where we can have where we can face with ourselves and we can be disconnected from everything um mm-hmm. and you hear these stories about like uh, i heard of a story of a, a vietnamese couple uh that i think they were vietnamese anyway and they they were under persecution for a bit for their faith and they go to but they go to mass as much as they could, they could but they moved to america and everything got comfortable and then eventually they they, they lost the faith because everything became too comfortable. So, yeah, I guess there's a fine line we need to battle with that, unlike like, um, you know, our everyday. Because obviously we can't do every day a Camino, but we need to somehow find a way to make it uncomfortable enough to uh, keep the faith. So you've got um, you you went on this as a kind of like soul searching mission, redefine maybe not redefine but rediscover who you are um and uh i don't know finding a tr- go out a new path because you said you you were on the path to marriage you were engaged and yeah. then all of that disappeared so i mean that's gonna shake you up and obviously you know this was a spur of the moment thing but like how did how did the did did the Camino heal you um what fruits did you get from it and like how did it do that would you say
2: Mm, i think you know when you say um you know people use the phrase like i'm here for self-discovery or finding a new path or it's a very common narrative on the camino because even if people are there out of uh, you know i wanted to do this always because i saw the martin sheen movie or whatever you know even if that's part of it there is always going to be some kind of spiritual experience and and kind of underpinning to it as well but i would say rather than sort of redefining myself i was there to bring everything and i didn't realize this at the time but i was there to bring everything to the foot of the cross and lay it all down uh so you have i mean i was I was 22. I was in a situation where I, I wholeheartedly believed I was about to marry somebody and step into this sort of white picket fence scenario for my life. Um, and in a, in the midst of all of that, I, I hadn't, definitely hadn't lost my faith, but I'd lost my, um, it's my real sense of of sureness about my faith i was engaged to a um incredible man who was not catholic and it's a it's a really challenging dynamic to be trying to navigate when you're um looking at you know lining your life to somebody for the rest of your life um and so there was things that sort of came up as compromise and it became in my heart quite a um, a gray area, or quite a, uh, an area of uncertainty in terms of how I felt about my faith. And I saw in the end my faith as being one of the, I guess, one of the, the causes of death of the relationship, really. And so I was angry with God. I was angry that something I desired so much in terms of, you know, marrying somebody I loved and, and starting a life together. I was grieving the loss of that and I was furious <laughs> which um, you know it's an interesting place to be in when you're also really hurting and you need comfort from and, and you know healing from God but you're also really really wildly angry with him at the same time mm. and there's a place in in the Camino uh, I can't remember how far in is called Cruz de Ferro and It's a cross on a hill, uh, where people go and they lay something down and it's different for everybody. Everyone has their own experience there. And essentially, um, what I did was I sat and this is getting really personal now, but I sat and I prayed and I, and I wrote my little message out, um, of what I was letting go of. And I remember ending this message, um, with. I give you all my hopes and dreams and I'm speaking to God and I'm saying, I give you every hope and dream I ever had. And I lay it here at your cross and I carry on walking. And so I don't think I was discovering myself so much as I was really letting go of, of how I thought I was striving to be to become more of who God wants me to be. Um, and letting go of my ideals and my, you know, sometimes I think we pray as though it were a bit of a, God, were a bit of a vending machine. You know, I want to put my, my prayer in, in this slot and I'm, I'm asking for, you know, item A on row three. And if the wrong thing comes out or it gets jammed up, then I'm going to bang on that machine. I'm going to get angry and I, this isn't what i ordered this isn't what i wanted to look like and how dare you not function the way i expect and that's definitely the girl who left new zealand and there were many pivotal moments but that in particular was probably my most one of my most profound in terms of realizing why i was there mm. and so i i can't really say the camino healed me but the space and the experience that the Camino provided was a catalyst for me to to really crack the heart open. I think we think our hearts are broken, but God mm. wants our hearts so wide open that He will break them. I mean Fulton Sheen said the Lord the good Lord will break a person's heart to get inside it. And I think this relationship ending and this marriage not going ahead was the beginning of like a fracturing of the heart and then the Camino really just just broke it all wide open and poured it all out so that it could be begun to be knit back together again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're saying you know the, the girl that, you know, left all those hopes and dreams at the foot of that cross. Sounds very much like the same girl that was stood outside the chapel in Tyburn, you know. Uh you know, and that's the person God created his being. I think there's something really beautiful in that. Uh Helen, I think You know, it shows the gift of each individual, and in this case, the gift of who you are is like that—that strong will, that power that um, not everyone else has, but you know, we see in you. (laughs) You spoke about uh, on the journey, you met people on the way, and um, I imagine you had many really cool experiences. Like, like, what were some of the highlights? Tell us a bit about the people and how did they. And their stories maybe become a part of yours or lead you on the path that you needed to go on not physically but spiritually
2: yeah well I think I mean the spiritual and the physical become pretty closely intertwined on the Camino because your suffering is um is often physical and I think there's a an inclination to again towards comfort that leads us to be little bit like a toddler when when we're hurting inside and we're thinking lord i'm here so i can be close to you and i'm here so i can have this spiritual experience and i can heal and you allow me to get bed bugs and you allow me to injure myself Mm. in this really horrible way and it's like 40 degrees celsius and it's pretty hateful at times and so there's almost like a bit of a romantic notion about the camino that has to die (laughs) someone said to me very early on if if you're not humble um, about the Camino the Camino will humble you and mm. that's probably like the, the most uh valid advice or you know sentiment that I could express <laughs> so you you come and you're open and and you're and even if you're not open you will become open <laughs> because you don't have a choice I mean people aren't there to talk about uh what you do for work or the weather like that people are really there to have my experience anyway that that you jump very quickly to um hi my name's Helen from that place you jump very quickly to and here's what's going on in my heart <laughs> <laughs> and um it took me a little while actually post Camino I'll say to to realize that okay that's not actually how the majority of people want to interact with a stranger I remember being like on a tour of Europe after the Camino and you'd sit in a bar and you'd sort of think, okay, like, like we just met, like, let's really get into this. Like, tell me about your, you know, what's going on in your soul right now. And people are like, well, you're, you're freaky. <laughs> so that's the nature of the kind of interactions you're having on the Camino. And I mean, I walked with people who were walking because of devastating loss. I walked with people who were walking because they were in a, a stage of transition and it was very common. Um, I met people, my very, very dear friend actually, uh, Rolando who is from uh, Cuba initially and then from Montana and was in Paris when he met uh, a couple of of girls who said, do you wanna come and walk the Camino? And in his experience, the word Camino just meant walk. So he was like, yeah, I'll come for a walk. Uh, and that's how he started. He had no idea what he was getting himself in for. He started, he started with a, a backpack that was over 20 kilograms. And so, because he had no idea what he was doing. So he ended up shipping stuff forward. Whereas our little TK Maxx backpacks were seven kilograms in total. I think we had the lightest, lightest backpacks on that Camino. Uh, and so, I mean, there was his experience, which was very much like, well, I I just showed up. <laughs> And then there was I remember meeting a man who was carrying his wife's ashes. So uh you just and and this could be you could, you know, encounter these people in the same day. Um I have a, a friend who I still have monthly Zoom catch-ups with to this day, uh, who was um the pastor of a church in California and his role was wound up and he was experiencing some loss and transition and grief as well. And was his catalyst for being there. And he became somewhat of a spiritual mentor and, and a father figure to me uh, in a time where I desperately needed that. And so I feel like God really provides uh, not only what you need for the journey in a physical sense, but in terms of community and companionship um, and people to speak into your life at the right moment. Um, and, and it's such a unique and profound thing to encounter people where you just, just introduced yourself and now you're hearing this really intimate, um, thing about their life. Um, and I mean, there are people who, who just have no interest in, in having that kind of, conversation as well and you Mm. you learn to read that and either walk in silence for a long time became very comfortable with silence right is uh Mm. if you're walking eight hours that day there's only so much conversation can be had
1: (laughs) Mm. no and i think you know silence is where we we hear god most and like i said uh, i only did the week and i like you know reflecting is like i didn't know what i was doing and it wasn't know i was going to say oh we can stop at a bunch of churches on the way and there were some highlights and some lowlights but like uh like one time me and my friend minson we both got food poisoning from a a bad batch of cherries tastiest cherries i've ever had in my life but uh we had to walk for a whole day with food poisoning um but we only did the week of it you know so it wasn't it wasn't too bad and like all the places we stayed had like real beds no bed bugs um yeah i guess they were they were kind of plush um in, re- in retrospect but yeah um i was thinking when you're talking about like your seven kg bag and i was like you know like in scriptures you know jesus was when he sent out the apostles to go and preach the word he's like you know sandals satchel change of clothes see you later and you know so you, you, it's quite biblical what you were doing as well um but like as you're mentioning is like there was a lot of science and like you know that can be especially nowadays it can be suffering for people to be in silence I know like even back when I was you know chaplain you know five days a week you know <laughs> um, nine to five um in adoration I could only be silent for 15 minutes and then I'd have to do something Um but like again you experience it like deeper suffering and like the physical manifest in the spiritual manifest in the physical like in, in blisters but you then Talk to us about the bed book situation, because I can't imagine that was, you know... <laughs> yeah, you're having PTSD right now, are you?
2: PTSD flashback, yeah. I'm, I'm two now. <laughs> you know, the suffer- the layers of suffering... Uh, I actually just want to, just before I do, touch on what you just said about this stillness and silence, because there's something about work and movement that we are actually, I believe, designed for... So if you, I mean, a lot of the time, if you look at um, a lot of scripture will reference Jesus um, teaching while they were doing other things or whilst they were walking or whilst they were on the road to somewhere and having these conversations. And so there, there is something wired into us, I believe, that allows us to, when we are doing some, some simple task like just walking, that allows an interior freedom to to um, flourish in us where uh, to sit still in silence is a whole nother discipline. So I think that that's part of what makes the Camino so unique and special is that that sort of that switch gets activated I think. Mm. Uh, the bed bugs oh I mean the, <laughs> I, I can't remember I think we were maybe two weeks in maybe less, uh, but let's go with that. So we've still got a while ahead of us, maybe three more weeks to go in total. And it's so hot, and we are in this albergue. So the albergues are the the accommodation where you sleep if you're fortunate enough to get a space. And this place was pretty packed. It was pretty run down, and we kind of knew that it was a pretty shabby one i mean some of them were very rustic and basic and that you might just have uh, a plastic mattress and a bunk a room full of bunk beds uh, and that was it but this was different it was a bit grubby and i remember lying in in bed and i'm under uh, was this, there were three the bunks were three high in a room full of bunk beds. It was like 40 degrees Celsius. I was lying there awake at about 2 a.m. and we had our alarms set for 5 a.m. so we could be, try and beat the heat while while walking. So I hadn't been to sleep. It was 2 a.m. I had hurt my uh, my knee the day before that. I was walking along happy, no issues, and I just felt this pop in my knee. and. I had blown out my, I think it's the meniscus, and it was like a little golf ball on the side of my knee. So this was pretty painful. And, and I that's had uh, two weeks voice. in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. And in the middle, it was in the middle of that day's walking too, with no choice but to carry on because we were in the middle of nowhere. So we, the nature of where we started walking meant we walked pretty early on in our journey through a place called the Meseta, which they nickname the soulless desert um, and and it's hot, it's dry, it's very kind of continuous um, surroundings. So there's not a lot to sort of behold in, in the meseta. And so I injured my knee, I'm lying in bed, I haven't been to sleep, I gotta be up in a couple of hours to start walking and I just can't get any comfort from the heat from my sore knee. Worrying about how it's going to go tomorrow walking on this knee and I feel something just land on my chest and Out of a reflex. I just kind of hit my chest and then I pull my hand back and I'm hate my hands covered in blood and I realize That's not my blood. That's like this is a, a bug on me and I'm like a, lying awake then googling what illnesses you can contract from bed bugs and uh that was the beginning and so fast forward three days and these things are so um diabolical that they will get into the tiny when they just are little and new and so they get into literally like the weave of your of your fabric on your clothing they will embed themselves in there So once you've got them, you've got them, and the only option of really getting rid of them is by fire. And so three days later, I find myself so covered in bed bug bites that I'm just completely miserable. I remember getting out the shower and forcing my cousin to count the bites on my back, and I had over 150 bites just on my back. So I don't think I've ever really been that miserable before and not since. And I was ready at that point to get on a bus and go. I, I I remember crying on the bathroom floor and just saying, I just can't carry on like this. This is not, no one can carry on like this. And the next day was probably one of my most brutal days on the Camino, I would say. I remember walking along for hours and hours alone because I was in such a foul mood that everybody kind of was, Kind of Kindly giving me space or selfishly giving me space, I'm not sure, but I I gave up and I sat down under a tree, a little twig of a tree and this thing was like giving me maybe two square centimeters of shade and I cried and I shouted and I said to God, I'm done. I'm not gonna walk one more step. I'm done. You brought me out here for no good reason. I, how much more can you expect me to suffer? And there's no way I won't get up and spoiler alert. Uh, no one came for me. So I got up and (laughs) I kept on walking and I think, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, the phrase poco a poco, uh, little by little. So little by little, um, I carried on and a few days later we made it into a a bigger city where I was able to find pesticide and I bought like every can that this um, the pharmacy owned I bought every can and the lady said to me when you go back she said wear a mask wear gloves spray all your belongings and then leave them to dry and then wash them thoroughly don't breathe anything in don't get it on your skin. I went out into the courtyard. I laid everything I owned out on the concrete and I was just without any clothing on me. I stood and I sprayed the entire lot of clothing, shoes, everything I owned. my backpack, my hair tie I sprayed and then I stood there and I sprayed my whole body. So I don't know what that will mean for me in years to come but there was no way I was going to carry on with a single another bed bug in existence in my life, so I annihilated them that day, and after that, I was bed bug free I mean I was still plagued with the bites probably for the rest of the Camino, but no no fresh ones after that so there's a hot tip for you. Don't listen to the pharmacist just just use that stuff all over <laughs>
1: <laughs> i uh, d- don't don't listen to home people uh' there, there's, there's rules behind this. And uh, you know, like I, I love the terms we use, diabolical, there, because it, like, I think you know, putting this back into a spiritual situation. On, on the, on the face of it, it's it's a, a hilarious story you can tell, you know, great anecdote but, to hear at parties and stuff. But like in reality, there is a truth there that goes way more deeper than, than just mm-hmm. uh, I got bed bugs and it was horrible. Um, you know, you you entered into this pilgrimage, into this journey you know, unplanned, you know, with a shirt on your back but you entered into it to be in relationship with God. And when you especially when you said uh, sitting underneath that tree, I thought of, you know, was it um Jonah and then there's also um Elijah. They both get to a point where they say, I'm I'm done God and they sit underneath a tree. And with Jonah, he sat underneath a tree and he was I think he sat down, God gave him a tree and then God took the tree away. And it's like I just like I just I felt that for you. There was like there's that real like it's like, okay, you've got this tree like with two centimetres of shade, what are you gonna do with it? Um how how did that moment underneath the tree transform you? And how has this experience kind of help, like had an impact on your faith, had an impact on your uh, you know, outlook on life? Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when you, and and I don't know if this is across the board for converts, but in my experience, when you've come into the faith from no spiritual background, initially there's like a mountaintop experience of just this euphoric kind of, I've found the truth and and I'm alive with all these, you know, graces from all these sacraments. And it's just so, I mean, you're like a newborn, but as an adult, if that makes sense. And, and it's incredible. And then that it's like a honeymoon, I suppose. And that for some people that, that might be fleeting for me, it was, it was a couple of years. And then I had this tricky, well, it's more, more than tricky. It was devastating. And, and suddenly I'm questioning everything. And so I think, you know, sitting under that tree and I, 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 hesitate to use the word tree, because it was really more of a twig, and I, and it was so hot, and so dusty, and I was so hurting, and I felt so furious that God could leave me in that place, and then I think, I, I don't know how long I sat there for, Dom, but it would have been a good hour, maybe longer, um, because when I got in that night, everybody had eaten and was ready for bed, that's, that's how late I, I got into to the town we were walking to. People actually started walking back um, out onto the trail to come and find me by the time I I started descending down into the the village. So I sat for a good while and I look at it, you know, part of my work is is working with with parents and their their children, especially toddlers. And, you know, God is a generous father and he is a good and loving father, but he doesn't... um, he doesn't want to make us comfortable at our own expense and so here was me essentially having this childlike tantrum under a tree and for good reason I suppose but I'm really hurting and I'm really angry and I feel despair and hopelessness and I look at it now and I realize that the Lord in his goodness didn't abandon me under the tree, he sat there with me and as a good father he didn't take away my suffering because my suffering is an invitation into my sanctification he doesn't take that away because he would be robbing me he gets down in the dust and he sits and he waits with us and a father who is prepared to do that will do that out of love is a good father. I, I won't take away your hard thing, but I'll be with you while it's hard, and then let's get up and walk together. So I really felt like the Lord said, like, okay, are you done? <laughs> and and I had no choice but to be done, but he never once, I believe he never once even glanced away from, from holding me in his gaze while I sat and tantrumed. And so, I guess my, my, the thing that changed in me was a spirit of perseverance that i had never had to develop before that. I'd never been required to have the, the essence of poco a poco to, to carry on just one foot in front of the other, despite, or no matter what. Um, I did, I'd always kind of had this rich mountaintop experience in my faith and, mm in this experience it was ugly and dusty and hot and sweaty and painful and he was still there with me even when i couldn't see it and so i think really that that you you almost can't um not pick that up and carry it with you through life because it's going to happen again and again and again because we're not in heaven yet (laughs) Mm. And uh, he is, he's good and he's faithful. And that doesn't mean, like any good father, it doesn't mean he will take it away and give us what we want instead. Mm. As a good and a faithful father, he has to do what he knows is right for us. And sometimes that's incredibly painful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember my spiritual director once saying to me, he's like, so often we are looking for the transfiguration when in fact we... The transfiguration is letting us know that there's going to be a crucifixion and we have to be in the passion. And I always felt like, especially like when praying the rosary, that like, you know, when I first started praying the rosary, you know, you think, sorrowful mysteries, I'm not, why would I do anything that's sorrowful? Let's go for joyful and glorious (laughs) and luminous. Um, But really, it's the sorrowful mysteries that make the real joy. It's our sorrow and pain that. You know, as as Catholics we teach that pain is is redemptive. You know, our suffering is redemptive and we can we can we have a choice when faced with those situations. We can either put on a self reliance as like I can fix this and ultimately turn to sin and away from God. Or we can say, you know, I'm gonna join this with got Christ on the cross. And it doesn't take away the pain. You know, it doesn't you know the you know critics say that Christianity is a crutch, and it's like if it's a crutch, it's got thorns on it. You know, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it might help you walk, but it's not going to take away the pain. Uh, yeah. It's just going to make you have the have a smile throughout the pain. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, uh, and I mean, I think I can't remember which saint says this. You might be able to help me, but uh, that to remain at peace, it is necessary to to love while suffering and to suffer while loving um i think i mean that in an essence is like that's how christian faith like i my, the avoidance of suffering is our modern condition
0: mm.
2: and by pursuing that we'll only suffer more and so mm. to learn to suffer in love and it has to be in love of christ because i cannot love well in my own strength, you know, deliver me, Lord, from the from the false uh, belief that I have what it takes. No one has what it takes mm. to love well while we suffer, and
1: mm.
2: we have to do that through Christ. And so, Amen. yeah.
1: So that was two weeks in, and you had your breaking moment uh, where you were completely broken. How was your knee at this point?
2: Huge. <laughs> Uh, my knee. I mean, you don't have access to things that, I, I, I mean, if, if you did an injury like that, just in your normal daily life, you'd be, you'd be off the gym, you'd be not, you'd be strapped up, you wouldn't be, you'd probably have a surgery, I mean, mm. I don't know, it's, it's pretty severe, and uh, when I came back to New Zealand months and months later, I finally went to physio, and she said, uh, tell me about when you injured it. And so I started to, and she said, and then, and then what did you do? And I said, well, I kept walking. And she said, for how long? And I said, oh, maybe three more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so she was kind of like, this is, now this is your knee now for the rest of your life. There's <laughs> nothing I can do for you and goodbye. Uh, it, it was pretty bad and it was bad for a while. I, I ended up at the next city we were in, cause you go through very small villages, and then slightly bigger ones, towns, and then cities. And in the early stages, most of them were very small. I mean, I remember us getting into one small village where we thought, okay, like we'll we'll get sorted, we'll um, we'll get we'll have dinner. And we got there, and there was nothing. There was just nothing. And we ended up buying a a half-eaten loaf of bread from somebody who lived there because he had this little shop, little tienda. But there was nothing. There was like a few cans. Some I remember it so vividly. A few cans, some sardines. Uh, he had like the hamon that you know the the big leg of animal hanging up that you just like continually it's just there in the heat. Like I don't know how people they don't die from it, but they don't. Uh, well, maybe they do. Um, and he went out into his own kitchen and brought us back a loaf of bread that. He uh, was from his own kitchen to sell us. So you go from that, you know, you might be in that kind of environment for days at a time or a week at a time. And so I ended up finding in a, in a larger town or a city uh, a knee brace, um, some strapping, and walking poles. Walking poles were life-changing. I, it's this, I think they say that using walking poles actually takes about 30% of the load off your feet, which is just, I mean, you're not really leaning on them, but it's just the nature of the way you're balanced, I think. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that made it doable. Um, that, it was still pretty, pretty suffering laden, but it was, it was doable after that. Um, and I, I walked like that pretty much till the
1: end, mm-hmm.
2: uh, strapped yeah. up and
1: holes so how did was was that was the bed bugs and the broken knee and everything was that was that your lowest point
2: the moment under the tree was my lowest point the moment mm. under the tree I mean sitting on that bathroom floor after Rachel had counted my bites was pretty low uh, and I mean I definitely had my moments of just utter utter heartache really and grief um and really missing my life, and missing my fiance, and missing grieving what i what I had perceived to have lost. And but that pinnacle moment under the tree, I would say was. I mean, I don't even want to call it a low point because now I see it as being uh, like one of the most profound moments of my life. But at the time, that's that's the lowest I'd, I'd felt for sure. Mm. and it it didn't I didn't have another moment quite like that again
1: yeah I think um for myself I've always felt that like crushing moments and like you know dire kind of like emotional uh, situations are always the most real uh you ever get the the closest you get to being human and so like a little Mm -hmm. part of me is always desired you know I'm a little bit melodramatic um but like you know i think cuz i went growing up i always wanted to be an actor and it's like i think it's cuz i always wanted to experience that i always wanted to find that point where it's like you're under you you ne- under a twig in the middle of nowhere screaming at god and it's not just it's not just something that you do everyone can scream everyone can sit underneath a twig but like just being in that moment and like it is life changing it's a, a self discovery moment and it's not a moment that you desire necessarily because i mean i don't I don't think you would desire to be in that situation <laughs> again um but could you tell us a bit like how did how did that change how did that change your mindset from you started the day you started after that lowest moment how 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 did you change as a person did it change how you related to everybody did it change how you looked at the the walk did it change how you carried on with the pilgrimage
2: yeah i mean I think starting out i had a sense of what I was here to achieve and that, that was healing. I would, I would get to the end. I would, um, touch this relic and then I would be just light and joy filled and no more burdens would be on my (laughs) shoulder. Um, (laughs) and I think, Oh yeah. I mean, everyone would be buying a ticket right now, but I think, uh, you realize, I realized it doesn't really matter location-wise where I am. I'm mean, gonna be me and I'll carry what I'm carrying regardless of where I am. And um, I definitely had, after, like increasingly I would say day by day, I developed a spirit of little by little. I developed a spirit of uh, detachment you know you don't have I, I think like in the end there was about four of us who were sharing a tube of toothpaste because it made more sense to not carry individual tubes but to have one and so we left our other tubes and our for other people and we carried one uh and we d- ended up doing the same with the bar of soap we ended up not even having shampoo or condition you know like it there's a stripping away that occurs because you realize how little you actually need and how freeing that is. You just, I, I'm so, and you know, like I, I we started off this cool just having a little catch up and I told you my car got burgled and I had all my staff stolen on the weekend. And I'm just now reminding myself of how little I need truly that that I've be- become again. I, this is like a, it's been a while. It's been several years since the Camino, I, and I'm I've become really attached to my worldly possessions again because this burglary was really upset me. And and yet on the Camino, I'm I'm so free. I feel so free, and I'm sharing soap with four people. Like I, you know, like uh. It just doesn't make sense, but it's because I'm not designed, I'm not meant to be satisfied by the things of the world. And so when when I really allow myself to have those things stripped away, now I find myself free to pick up the things that will truly satisfy me. Which is the peace of Christ, God's love for me, communion with other people. So I became, as I, as all these things are being stripped away and I'm being sort of burned by this fire and refined in, through the process, I find myself becoming more and more open. I start making uh, more friends. I start growing deeper in relationship. I start, you know, there were nights where we would have 20 people around a dinner table and we would cook for our little Camino family and in service and it was always very humble sort of a gigantic tub of pasta and crusty bread and plenty of um, uh, red wine and you realise this is actually what matters. Connection, relationship, communion with God and that's all I actually need and the more I accepted that it comes with a grieving because we're very attached to the other things in life but the more I laid the other stuff down and picked these things up the lighter and freer I became and I I would like to think that I carry that sort of in in many ways in my life now relationship first um, you know things and work and other parts of life Mm. are are always secondary to that, but it's an exercise. It's a discipline and it's a daily thing. And and a pilgrimage is a a continual journey as well. It's another one I have on my bathroom wall. I am but a pilgrim passing through. And this is a very dear, my very dear friend who I meet on the Camino. Uh, His name is Ron, who has become family to me. This is his, uh, his little sort of prayer reminder for me when we last caught up was like, and I was talking about the struggles of life and he said, yeah, well, and so what? Cause you know, you're not, you're not here for here. You're here for somewhere else. And so I'm just a pilgrim and I'm just passing on through. Mm. And so when that's my mentality, I really can sort of have this attitude of like, oh, so come what may, cause I'm just a pilgrim here. I'm yeah. not attached
1: that's really powerful man it's like just like that idea i mean it's again it's one of those things that's, it's really hard to grasp the idea with fully it's kind of abstract i'm a pilgrim i'm not going to a place i'm going to heaven which is uh, so much more and like trying to grasp what heaven is and stuff uh, is it's a whole other thing in itself um so yeah so you 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 you've detached from uh, all these things. And like, I was thinking like earlier in the year, we spoke to a guy called Jacob Imam from new polity. And he talks about how we only should have stuff um, in order to give it away. Uh, so like he talks about, he has a, um, he has a truck, not because he's a, a tradie or anything, but because it, everyone always needs a truck. It's like, oh, I need to move something. I need someone with a truck. And it's like, all right, here, you can have my truck. You know, here's the keys. And so that's why he has that thing. And so he, this idea of like, having possessions um possessions are are very much like grace they're a gift that remains as a gift and gifts are forgiving um yeah and so like you know you've you've managed to bring that into your life somewhat you know what you've taken from um the camino but like yeah it's just so hard it's like discerning it's like what do we need you know and uh and you know how much comfort do we want you know because obviously we want a lot of comfort the comfier the better right um but um you know my wife and i are currently talking about buying a, a bigger car because more kids on the way but then we're like okay we don't want to get the fanciest car because it's too plush and we should buy something more within our means but then at the same time it's like we need something with the most functionality and so like there is that constant thing and like this whole idea of stripping away is a it's a difficult one to work through um have you got any tips on like working through those ideas like using your experience from the Camino
0: mm. i
2: mean i I think that there's there's very few of us or maybe it's the whole like many other minia um but you know i I think. There's very few of us who are really called to do this in an extreme way, and I, I guess I, I perceive that. Like I really, I've never pondered or been open to the idea of religious life in a way as what I was on the Camino because it became very appealing to have nothing in my worldly possession but what I absolutely needed. And then when you're in the world again in this way, I realize it's actually, you know it's okay to want to surround yourself with beauty it's okay to want to you know I, I interior design and aesthetically pleasing things are something that bring me joy um, creating a space where I feel peace and I feel c- contentment and I can sit and quietly pray in the early hours of the morning that that makes me more inclined to spend time with, with Christ so, so I think you know it's not to throw the baby out with the bathwater uh that that we have to be humble but we also have to incline our ear toward God and what he's actually asking of us i think you know to to just dress ourselves in sackcloth and and you know not not want to own anything beautiful or um fancy is that's not what he's asking of all of us at all so I think, I mean, I I drive a light model car. I have nice things. I I like to buy nice clothes and, you know, (laughs) yet it can be taken away like Mm. I learned on the weekend in the blink of an eye. So the key, I think, is detachment. I really believe that it's okay to have uh, wealth, that it's okay to have nice things, but why? Why do I want those things? Set your heart not on these things of the world um, and if they come they come if you have a career that provides you an income that means you can buy that nice car uh, and you spend a lot of time driving and your family like air conditioning and space then I don't see a problem in that as such I see problem in that I would so desperately want that nice car that I would forfeit a uh, who God's calling me to be or, or where God's calling me to set my heart, mm. which is on the things of heaven, not on the things of this world. So I think if those things come as a little bit of a byproduct to me living the way God's calling me to be, then so be it. But if they are my identity and my source of security and, and joy, then I'm out of balance.
0: Mm. Uh.
2: And I, I think it's a, it's always a difficult thing to navigate because mm. we're, always, we're always being tempted. You know, like I have an iPhone that's several years old now and it's pretty smashed up, but it still works. And I found myself the other day on the Apple website, right? And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, it's about time and I work hard and I, this phone's pretty old and I've had its use out of it, but the reality is there's nothing wrong with it. and. I'm, I realized about twenty minutes into my research <laughs> that I was making an idol out of having a new phone, and uh, so mm. I still have it for now. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean to say I won't get a new phone at some point, but right now I can't because I was making an idol out of it.
0: And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: and yeah. uh chris west talks about looking at the world through a sacramental lens the way jesus looks at the world and actually the, the these small little pleasures that we have are actually pointing us towards god you go god wants Absolutely. us you know wants us to have good things he wants us to have pleasure And in heaven we'll have those things uh, like even our favorite foods our favorite snacks you know our favorite pet and all these things will be with us in heaven not in the same way but like they are ways that god uh, woos us into um a romantic relationship. So we've heard about your lowest point and so now we've sufficiently put everybody off doing the Camino. <laughs> <laughs> what was your highlight? What was the you know, the moment you thought, Yes, I'm doing this or the or maybe maybe it was post camino that you were like, actually mm. that was the best decision I ever made.
2: Yeah, I think it's the latter. I, and that's not to say I didn't have really beautiful moments, because mm. I truly did. I remember on the walk to Finisterra after being in Santiago, I, and even the feeling of walking into Santiago itself was pretty special. Uh, miraculous moments, like like meeting friends again who you believed you'd said goodbye to, and then God provides this sort of supernatural shift of space and time so that you cross paths again when you didn't think you ever would. Uh, and just the joy in that, uh, the joy in just sitting around a table full of people from all over the world who I just met, but I feel like are my family and talking and laughing and singing and uh, it is so rich. But I think truly the fruit is not really visible until um, I'm, a, I'm on the other side and I look back and I think, okay, wow, I've been really richly blessed, but also I've been transformed and the transformation continues. I mean, that the prayer, I'm just a pilgrim passing through, I'll see glimpses, it, it goes on to say, I'll see glimpses of heaven in this world but they are merely glimpses of what is to come which is where I'm going and this is given to me in wisdom and um I guess like a real deep spiritual love from a friend who I met several years ago on this dusty road in the soulless desert this is where I met my friend It was in this part of the Camino and no way at the time Walking along this dusty road, banged up, hurt, eaten alive by bed bugs. Would I have said this will be, the, the, this week will be a pivotal moment that in seven, six or seven years I'm going to be so grateful for. And you can't, you can't have that level of, it's not until you can zoom out and look at something from above or from, from the kind of retrospect. Sometimes and so I, it didn't even that in itself is this huge exercise in trust, and some of these things have taken this whole several years to come to fruition. I mean, many of many of the fruits have been active and vibrant and visible all along. But uh, and if you had told me seven years ago, oh, you won't see the fruit of this for another five, four, five, six years, I would have wanted to hurt you. <laughs> but. <laughs> But in patience and perseverance and trust in the Lord, He fulfills His promises always. He will never be outdone in His generosity for us. And so I trust in this little way that I will get up every morning and I'll try again in this tiny little way like I learned on the Camino. I don't know how I'm going to walk 30 kilometers today with this busted knee. But I don't have to even work it out. All I have to do is put this foot in front of the other. And I think that's how we live. Mm.
1: And I like, you know, talking about like seeing um, if someone was said to you like five years from now, you'd be seeing the fruits from this. I think like that's like a very kind of like, I don't know, maybe logical, like hyperlogical way of seeing it. And I, and because I don't feel like it's, you know, okay you have to go through this you're gonna to have to have bird bugs you have to have a busted knee you have to be in the soulless <laughs> desert in order for you to get this particular fruit but i think it's be- like god uses everything we give him and it's like okay yeah. you've hit this rock button it was like don't worry this is going to be giving you fruit for the next let's say decade um yeah because like you know in five years from now who i have no i have no doubt that you're going to be thinking ah oh, that's another thing i got from that it's not it's not a it's not a um finite resource, it's a, it's a limitless mm-hmm. uh, principle.
2: Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it, it, it's the idea of the taking one step and putting one foot in front of the other, it's apparent in that moment under the tree because I didn't feel, there was no movement, right, under the tree. God sat there in the dust, and but this is the image I have in my head, God sits in the dust with me, the Lord just crosses his legs and gets down and sits there with me and waits and it's not until I make the decision to get up and continue walking that he moves with me Mm. so I really believe God blesses us as we move God blesses the steps we take he works with our work and I think there's a lot of sort of spirituality that would point us to the belief that with like these chess pieces and we just have to wait to hear the will of God and then he'll move us. But I really believe that he blesses us in our momentum. And we want to have our ear and our eye and our heart inclined to him at all times to instruct the steps we take. But to get started, you have to get started. And so to carry on walking, even though I don't know the way... But I do know how to take this, just this step right now. And I do that in absolute trust that God will make the next step possible. I have everything that I need because of who I am in Christ.
1: Mm, mm. So beautiful. So beautiful. So, like, um, I guess my question is because after everything we've said, like, how, how would you prepare for the Camino? <laughs> because. It sounds like if we like the experience you've had as i was saying earlier is like something that i guess i've been yearning for you know even though i don't want to be bed you know ridden with bed bugs in the soulless Mm -hmm. desert you know that that yearning to have that real connection with humanity with with who i am with creation is something that we all want to and that's why we desire to go on these things to find god and generally you know even when you watch these movies like there is the movie of the camino and it's always like people are broken, but they find healing through this, you know, and there's so many different Mm -hmm. ones, like the bucket list and what have you. It sounds like the best way to prepare for this is to just go to TK Maxx, buy some trainers in a bag, and go for it. (laughs) But, like, I I mean, I can't say that was a big recommendation.
2: Well, it's not. It's a terrible recommendation, but I think there's very little I'd do differently. Um, I... I mean, yeah, I I would probably, you know, by the end we were taping our shoes together with waterproof <laughs> taping, um, and
1: do you uh, do you still have those shoes?
2: I don't. Oh. You know, I I really wish. I was very I, I was very committed to the being unattached thing at that point, point. and I actually um, I'm pretty sure we burned did we we burned some stuff. There was some definitely some burning of stuff. Um, wow. yeah, I was, I, I, let everything go. My one regret is that I didn't keep my hat. I had a pretty funky little hat. Um, but the backpack was so cheap, so cheap that all the metal framing in the back part of it was like bent and buckled and starting to poke through and stab me in the back by the end. So that didn't get kept at all.
0: Another offering. And so
2: I, I mean, like if, if it's within your means and you don't want to suffer you know, quite to that degree, buy a decent backpack, buy some good, maybe, maybe hiking boots aren't a terrible idea, but look, like my shoes carried me the whole way. And I, I don't know if I would do it with hiking boots or I would, I probably just wear trainers again Mm. because they're lightweight and they're flexible and they dry out quick. Um, But I would definitely recommend uh, pre-treating your uh, sleeping bag liner. So I didn't have a sleeping bag because we were not, it was so hot, we knew it was gonna be so hot and we were worried about weight. And so a silk sleeping bag liner is meant to be, if you do it in, in in a hot climate time of the year, then a silk sleeping bag liner is meant to be the trick to avoiding bed bugs because they can't burrow into the silk, it's too tight a, a weave. Uh, I believe they still did for me, but I don't know. But So apparently you can pre-treat all your belongings, your clothes, your backpack, your silk sleeping bag liner with like a deterrent. So I would go pretty heavy on that if I was to do it again. <laughs> but I guess, uh, yeah, I. I go in expecting to suffer would be my biggest prep tip go in expecting and and try and find the joy in the suffering try and embrace that because Mm. it it wouldn't be a camino without it i don't think you're not there to be a tourist you're there to be a pilgrim and uh the very word itself is almost inviting
1: suffering Mm. i think um you could maybe say you know the best preparation to have is be prepared to, you know, be prepared to go when God calls you to go, because essentially that's what happened to you, it's like, it wasn't a case of like oh, I'm going to go do the Camino, it's like, I'm going to buy a ticket to London and see what happens, and God was like you're going on the Camino, it's like, well then I'm going mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with that in mind how about spiritually um, is there a, like how would you prepare to enter into it, because I guess like, you know um, you know, m- maybe God broke you down because you weren't in the right spiritual space, it's like, maybe we can again void the bed bugs by spiritually being in a point where we can receive God's word best um
2: Mm, I really think God just wants us as we are and I I think wherever you are at is where he meets you um he doesn't want us to come forward uh having you know like spat on our hands and combed our hair before we present ourselves to him. He wants us to turn to face him with blood, sweat, and tears on our face. And so, I mean, yeah, there's definitely things that you can put into practice to create a, a space in your heart that is more receptive, more inclined to hear God. But honesty, I, I really think honesty and communication well prayer is communication but an honesty and communication in all relationships especially the one we have with with god because he knows anyway right like (laughs) i remember um voicing a concern once about um being concerned i was trying to manipulate god and uh the person was like well chill (laughs) because you won't (laughs) um (laughs) He will not be manipulated. Um, and so honesty, just even the the rage, right? Like that fury and, you know, like a child scream, hate you at a parent. Mm, mm. Not because they hate the parent, but because they love the parent so much that they know they can be their most ugly in, in the presence of the
0: parent. Mm, mm.
2: And so I don't I'm not condoning that at all in terms of how we should speak to God, but I do think he wants the guts and the honesty and the the ugliness for sure. Yeah.
1: So it's about getting rid of those masks and those barriers yeah. we put up. And I suppose yeah. if, if you if you enter into this not willing to, God will break them down. <laughs>
2: and do you know, I just I just you just made me when you said removing the mask, you just reminded me of something. Someone came up to me after I don't think it was mess. I think it was might have been adoration. It, it was adoration. Someone came up to me afterwards, and she said to me, "And it, it you know, it was, it was actually bless her heart, she meant well, but it was actually I was a bit embarrassed." And she said to me, "She said I just wanted to say, you know, like every time I see you and here, you're just so serene, and like you always just look, you know, this way." And and she said, "You just really remind me of." <laughs> of mary and i was so gobsmacked by this because i had sat in adoration battling my mind the entire time and working really hard to try and be honest with god and all i could come up with in honesty was i really don't want to be here i have zero interest in being here that was my honest that was as honest as it got and that was really the the depth and the the beauty that I experienced in adoration that day was I really don't want to be here. Uh, My honest truth at this point in time is that I would probably rather be at home on the couch with a cup of tea, mindlessly scrolling through social media. It's just where I'm at. And yet the perception, the outside perception was that I must be having a profound spiritual experience because of how it appeared from the outside. So I really think we need to be so much more honest than that and shed that facade because it's so unhelpful i think mm. um that we would pretend anything is so unhelpful
1: mm. yeah 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 but i think also like the like there is something to be said for being in front of the Blessed sacrament in mass or in, in in adoration and not wanting to be there but persisting anyway and i think oh how they
2: yeah. yeah yeah i
1: think you know there is that there, there is that beauty in that um um, something I did want to ask you about, because mm-hmm. essentially your trip to the Camino actually ended up you, with you meeting Bishop Barron eventually, right? Uh, in a roundabout way.
2: In a roundabout way, yeah.
1: There we go. <laughs> so everyone did the Camino, no I'm joking. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah. I'm, so I'm a big I, fan. No.
2: You're a big fan. Dom, you are the reason I meet Bishop Barron. Oh, stop it. <laughs> I knew, I just knew in my travels that if I had this opportunity to meet Bishop Barron, I couldn't pass it up. And I'm in California on this particular occasion and I'm staying with the very good friend, Ron, who I met walking the Camino. And he knows I'm a big Bishop bishop baron fan and i have his books and i love his um daily emails his like just fangirl right and so i he says you know what you should send the bishop an email while you're here and you should get in touch and pay him a visit and i said come on he's the bishop like it's that's not a thing you can't really do that it's he's really busy guy and he's really like I, i doubt he's even in town so the following morning, he, uh, we're making coffee, and he comes through, and he says, what would you say if I told you the bishop was in town? And he had called, and he had uh, essentially made contact with um, the administrator, who I then made contact with myself because, I mean, you've been led this far. You can't let it go now. And she says, I'm, I'm really sorry, but he's he's pretty booked up today, and he's not going to be able to see you. And my my precious friend could not take that for it. I kind of willingly accepted that. I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I expected. Thanks Mm -hmm. so much for your time. Ron comes through and he's like, get in the car. You've got a long drive ahead of you. You need a pack right now. I'm going to help you throw everything in the car because you have to be there at 2 p.m. And it was quite a way up the coast um, from where I was in Long Beach, California. Like uh, significant drive. So I'm suddenly, I'm on the road. I don't even have time to think about this. I don't have time to think, what am I going to say to the guy? What am I going to ask him? Uh, What are we even going to talk about? So I just show up and I'm there and we sit and we have a chat. I tell him about us down here in New Zealand, what we're up to. I invited him. I said, Bishop Barron, I think you should really come to Hearts of Flame. I'm on the planning team for this organization. (laughs) I really think that you ought to come. Um, he said he would think about it <laughs> that, he that out. So, but we recorded a message. I don't know if you remember that I mm. got him to record a message, and you recorded you and, and the group. I think there was a theology of the body group. No, At the it, was time, a, it was the
1: it was the Catholicism series.
2: Catholicism series mm. uh, recorded a little message for him, and he just yeah, it was it was pretty cool. And then I left, I left, and I got in my car, and I was like shell shocked, right? And I'm sitting in my car, I'm like. Wow, that was pretty cool and i start driving and i realize i didn't get a photo with him so i turn around and i go back and i'm like embarrassed to knock on the door and she comes to the door and she's like hey do we need a call security or are you gonna be okay um and so um he was very gracious to come back downstairs and and have a photo taken oh the
1: man the legend bobby baron um what what a great way to end that, like, long and amazing experience of the Camino. Um, but we have a few listener questions. Uh, are you happy to answer a few?
2: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Cool, 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 cool. Well, we have one here from Victoria. Uh, I'm just reading these for the first time. We might have answered these a few already. But okay. she says, so why did you do it? We kind of did that. What did you learn? What was your experience like finishing um, what people did you encounter? Uh, what conversations do you have? So I guess the one thing we didn't answer there was what was it like entering into Santiago after the 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 trauma and the pilgrimage?
2: Um, I'm a I'm a crier. I'm a big feeler. I'm a if, if I feel something and you're around me, you'll know what I'm feeling kind of person.
0: Mm.
2: And I just I just wept. <laughs> It was pretty deflating actually walking into the square itself because it was all under construction at that point in time, uh. so it was covered in scaffolding, and our photos are a bit sad, but we went to Mass, um, which was pretty incredible. They had the big thurible swing right through the hole. It was an incredible experience, um, and I just – I don't think I stopped – Crying from the moment we walked into town until I mean I, then we went out to to we were going out to dinner that night and we discovered when I when I walked in to get the um, certification from the Compostela, uh, we I realised that um, some very dear friends had stayed on in order to welcome us into town and. So I was just this puffy, blotchy, weeping mess for probably like the next 24 hours after that. Um, and again, the reason for that is the people. It's just, the, it's really that you just, this love and this bond and this connection you feel with these people is so profound after all this time to reconnect, to have it come to an end. There's a grief, there's a, there's a sense of sadness over that. There's a, sh- a sh- utter relief that it's over, mingled with grief that it's over.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thinking about it, like back is like I definitely was a tourist on that on that whole pilgrimage. Uh, a, we were only walking for about a week. Uh, but B, when I when I entered into the cathedral, I was kind. Of, okay, so where's this terrible? You know, <laughs> like okay, you know, come to the end of this, you know. Hundred kilometer walk, and I'm like, I'm looking for a thurible. Can you help me? And everyone, no one would tell us anything about it. It's like, okay, this guy's mm-hmm. a tourist. <laughs> um, another question here from Winona. She asks about she asks about training, and she says like, you know, well, six hundred kilometers is quite a lot uh, if you're not an athlete. But she got more asking like, where did you sleep on the road? Uh, so like. You talked about albergues and there were some times where, that one time where you found a really dodgy place was there any times where you didn't find an albergue or
2: uh was there any times i there was one occasion where i was about to be um told i couldn't enter the building because they saw that i had bed bug bites and they weren't gonna let me sleep there that night um and so i was quite prepared to sleep outside that night and in the end my I think my friends basically said well if she doesn't stay we don't stay so I was allowed in in the end but I mean I can understand it because the last thing an albergue wants is to be plagued with someone mm. else's bed bugs but um no I it, in general, we always left early enough in the morning that we were pretty safe getting a bed for the night. And when you've been walking for a while and you've got a little bit of a community around you that you've you've been blessed with, if someone is able to um, pick up the pace and go on ahead and reserve beds, that sort of thing. So I think, I mean, there were a few close calls, but for the majority, I did share a bed one night Um, with my cousin, but other than that, we were pretty, pretty blessed, and there was definitely conditions that were pretty, I mean, I can remember being in this huge place, it was in a big city, and the albergue was a warehouse, basically, with just hundreds of bunks, and I can remember sitting up in my bed in the middle of the night, and it was so hot, and again, I hadn't been to sleep, And just listening to the snoring of just so many people in this one big space and i legitimately remember sitting there and and like thinking in my head what would happen if i just sat up here and screamed as loud as i could like that was the level of i was just being driven to distraction by all of this there's just you can imagine like 50 people snoring in one space uh and so some of them were pretty rustic. Some of them were just like a room full of bunks and that was it. Some of them were run by um religious sisters or brothers. Um and you just had the most incredible experience. Some of them were a little bit sort of spiritually not quite what you were looking for as a Catholic. <laughs> um, but the majority were just it was just so richly blessed and a lot of them were by donation so you just give what you can or what you feel it's worth um, and it would range from if you're staying with the religious sisters or um you know there would be couples husband and wife um running the place you'd often be fed a beautiful meal otherwise you're just sort of really buying bread from some dude down the street
0: mm. <laughs>
1: Uh, we've got another question here from Isabel. Um, are there any points in the route that are dangerous?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so the mountains, um, I mean, a lot of people get really injured in the mountains. Um, my friend got pretty badly injured in the mountains. Um the weather can can be pretty, not so much the the part of the journey that we we walked, but especially the crossover from France into Spain and the Pyrenees. A lot of people come to to some strife there. Um, so being prepared and thinking about the weather and listening to locals, especially, I did have a friend who came across um someone who was quite clearly um had ill intent for her and she was walking alone um she was very fortunate to um to get away so it's definitely not something that is just like skipping through fields with daisies you know it's it's there's there's always it's like anything um there's always going to be some risk there but i think it depends on what time of year you do it as to how heavily populated it is so we walked in May, which is kind of a fringe season, but it was still pretty busy at times, pretty hot. Um, in summer, it's just absolutely packed, I think. But then that's also like peak bed bug season, so don't go then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess we could talk about that for a long time. There's a lot to pull out in that... Um... A lot, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe but I part guess I, two yeah yeah just part of, next uh i say part two this is probably will be two parts uh, part three the dangers of a camino um
2: yeah tips and tricks
1: yeah we've got another uh question here from uh winston um oh i suppose we've kind of already answered this but he says uh was there a part of the walk that was particularly challenging for you this may not necessarily be physical sense, but maybe spiritual uh, and how did you overcome it? Would you say that would be the the tree, the Jonah moment?
2: Yeah, although I you, speaking about the mountains just reminded me of another part where we were trekking up, I was going to say uphill, but it was really climbing a mountain for quite some time, which was pretty challenging, and it was very wet. Um, don't buy a raincoat from TK Maxx. Um <laughs> you if anything it will just shrink wrap the rain inside itself to your body so you'll be even more wet than if you hadn't worn one (laughs) so it rained for days and we were drenched and everything was saturated and then by the time we got to the very top we were so high up that everything was damp because we were up in the clouds so there was just constant cloud cover and it was spectacularly beautiful to see the sunrise in the morning above mm. the clouds. It was incredible. Um, but there was... there was The uphill and the rain for days was um, was a little challenging, but actually also one of the things I look back on with a lot of love that's and um, fondness for.
1: That's cool. Another question is asked by a few people, but also by uh, Manny was... Um, what conversations did you have uh, that stuck with you on the journey was is there any like you know top one maybe top two conversations that you just like you know i either maybe something you were able to say to someone or someone, someone said something to you maybe
2: yeah i actually i i had some really profound conversations with people about the faith so i can remember walking with someone who was very anti the church um very anti, because she said, well, I'm a feminist, and I cannot condone this belief system that just oppresses women, and, um, you know, I think, I think, actually, this is potentially a good segue, Dom, for our, another podcast we've got planned in the future about femininity and feminism, but she did say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a feminist, and this is how I believe Things should be and this is so contradictory and so we had this amazing conversation about all of that and I just really felt the need to hear her I felt like this was this has to be coming from a place of hurt somehow and and when we're hurt we're defensive um in fact we we generally only defend what what is hurt in us and so she she needed to be heard she needs to be understood so I I we go through all of that and then I say what if what if I could share my perspective as a as a woman who also believes to I'm a I'm a feminist and what I believe is the true sense of the word? So I did, and you know, I she, one of the things she said was you know the the age old debate about the scripture of wives submitting to husbands, and I said, you know, what if that meant that as a woman, a married woman, I'm submitting to being loved by my husband? in a way that is, he is attempting and and striving to love me the way that Christ loves his church, which is to sacrifice his entire being for her. And she said, is that what it actually means? (laughs) Yeah. So, I I mean, I don't claim to have converted her at all, but it was just, for me, it was like a really beautiful experience of actually being able to I don't think we do much good by by hitting people over the head with the book, but I think we do a lot of good by really hearing where people have have felt hurt or offended by the church or by the perception of the church. You know, I think I read the other day, no one actually hates the Catholic Church, um, but a lot of people hate what they believe the Catholic Church to be. Um, And that was a a bit of a common theme, and I would say those were my highlights, really, among many other really beautiful, intimate conversations about people's journeys and their lives. And you really realize, gosh, we're all just pilgrims on the journey, battling our way through, because everyone's gone through stuff. Um, But the highlights for me would be those moments of really being able to speak goodness and love and truth into people's um, misconceptions.
1: Mm, that's cool. Was there anything that was people, anyone spoke into your life that was uh, particularly powerful?
2: Oh, I don't even know where to start. Like, just absolutely, and continuously to this day with the people I've met. I mean, the night that I met my very dear friend, um, who I've I've referenced a few times, I was probably feeling like the real peak of my heartache that night, and they. That this group of people invited me to dinner and I sat across the table from them and I was so hurting that it was kind of impossible for me to engage without really telling them what was going on so I did I just said like I'm this is what's happening for me and I was super vulnerable and this um, in the space of maybe two or three hours this man sitting across the table who was really kind of my father's age and just had a pure heart of gold, and kids my own age at the time, in that instant, became like a real spiritual father to me, and it was a total gift from God, and many, many things very similar, but but also very different, you know, healing of, of relationships, my cousin and I had a huge argument in the mountains one day where we just really let it all out and we yelled and we, we got angry with each other and we stormed off and we you can't storm off on the Camino because ah.
0: like
2: a, unless the other person's like, Okay, well I'll just wait back here while you just, you know, get, get get a head start, you can't do that. And so she'd storm off and then I'd be behind her and then I'd say, Well then one more thing and
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> and yeah. then and then allowing all of that to come out in this space in this way where there's no time constraints and no one's saying, okay, well, I gotta go because I need to go to work or cook dinner or whatever. Super healing. And so um, I just, I mean, I couldn't even number the occasions where people spoke into my life in really profound and beautiful ways. And I met as a sister, actually, in one of the uh, monasteries who, uh, she sat and listened to me um, kind of, you know, share my story. And uh, one of the other sisters had to translate it for her because she she only spoke Spanish. And then I, I was very, I had very minimal Spanish. And she then wrote me a letter, um, which my dear friend Rolando translated into English for me. And it, I have it still now and I, I sometimes pull it out and read it and it was basically about um, how God sees our hearts and um, wants nothing more than to just be in love with us because of who we are. Um, so things like that that just are priceless and they're abounding in a situation like that. Yeah.
1: That's cool man. We've got one last question, and it's actually from uh, the Mums Group we've started at Evangelion. So if you're a mum and you uh, want some Catholic community, check that out on our website and our Facebook group. Um, So one of the mums from the Mums Group asked, did it feel like walking with Jesus on the way to Calvary? Uh, She says it's specific, but maybe because she's done many pilgrimages, she knows what it's like. Okay. Um, And she also wants to know the difficulty she difficulties she faced and how she faced him so I guess you know did it did it feel like walking with Jesus on the way to Calvary the passion specifically um
2: I, I don't think I ever really had that moment of of kind of um directly thinking that but I do remember uh being in pain and suffering both kind of emotionally spiritually and physically and realizing again, like I said earlier, that my goal is to become, like, the one I follow. Well, I can't say, Jesus, make me more like you, and not expect to get a little bit banged up and bloodied along the <laughs> way. So, if I say that, and I want only comfort, then I'm an, a hypocrite, and, and I'm a liar. And so, I realize, like, I... All of what I have, and now I'm saying, how dare you inflict this on me? But all of what I have, I asked for when I, when I was baptized. I asked for all of the suffering when I said, "Make me like you, Um, unite me to yourself, Um, purify my heart." Like we, we really want to be careful what we pray for if we, if we're afraid, right? I, I pray. Lord, I have no rules for you in my life. Do what you may. And then, whoa, all of a sudden life's flipped on its head. And, mm. and now I'm no longer planning a wedding, but I'm in Spain. I'm sitting under <laughs> a tree in the dust, right? Wow. So I think, yeah, Calvary is, that's a, it's a great way to look at it. I don't think I've ever had that exact kind of imagery in my mind, but I definitely felt united to God and his suffering for sure
1: wow that's really that's really cool really powerful
0: yeah well Helen
1: you're the first two hour podcast I've ever done in my whole life
0: yes Uh, (laughs) well
2: I have to tell the listeners actually that Dom told me if I was boring he'd cut me short so I'm gonna call it a success
1: there you go there you go um no flies on you eh Helen (laughs) I can can only see well there was there was lots of bugs all over you but um I have to say, uh, just hearing this story, and I've heard most of it before because we've we've known each other for let's call it a decade. Um, a decade. It really it broke my heart, not in a bad way, but in a good way. You know, the heart's always tr- cracking open to let God more in, and I think just listening to this story, you know, there's lots of things that I can relate to in my own life, and I, you know, I can think of, you know, was like I can get a lot out of what you've said. So thank you so much. For for uh for sharing your time with us um is anything you would like to uh send us off with anybody listening like a quick two minute like something you want to say to the listeners
2: um i don't know i think i've said uh, i feel like i've said too much already (laughs) so no i mean i think that um yeah i'm i'm always happy to if um people have more questions or if someone's planning on doing it I'm always happy to to have a Camino chat so um, if uh, if people find a way to contact me if we can put maybe that in there I'm happy for that Um, otherwise I would say poco a poco little by little carry
0: on
1: praise the lord well what we'll do is if people want to get in touch with you you get in touch with us and we'll hand it out rather than just putting your email address on YouTube and Facebook for the world to see (laughs) Uh, it's probably the best way to do that uh so again thank you very much helen for your time and everybody listening thank you for staying with us all the way through this two hour episode remember if you want to get involved in anything that Evangelion's doing check us out on evangelion.co.nz go to our facebook page evangelion nz go to our youtube channel evangelion nz go to our instagram page you guessed it evangelion nz and of course if you're listening on the podcast app give us a five star rating and positive comments only. Thank you very much. Uh, God bless, stay curious, and stay Catholic.